All right, well, we're there in James chapter number four. And the last time I was with you, uh, we dealt with the first three verses of James chapter four. We also dealt uh, with verses, let's see, 10 and 11. Tonight, we're going to focus on the verses of Verse, verse 4 through verse 10. Next week, we'll deal with the end of the chapter. And if you look down at verse number 4, and if, if you've missed any of those sermons out of the book of James, they're all on our website. If you check out our website, you can catch up where we can make CDs for you if you'd uh, prefer that. But if you look at verse number 4 of James chapter 4, the Bible says this, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is, the, is enmity with God, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, is the enemy of God. And here James begins to draw some lines. And if you remember the book of James, the purpose of the book of James is to uh, bring us closer to God, is to mature us as Christians, to bring us uh, into perfection, which means to be complete and whole, uh, to not just be someone who's saved, but someone who's walking with God. And here he begins to tell us that we, we're going to have to make a decision. And, and for, for those of you that like to take notes, and I appreciate all of you who take notes, uh, Point number one that I want you to notice from verse four here is we see the cost of the friendship of the world. He talks about the fact that Christians and believers end up becoming friends with the world, but you've got to understand this, being friends with the world automatically puts you at odds with God. Look at verse four again. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity. Now that word enmity means being opposed or hostile. He says, don't you know that becoming a friend of the world automatically puts you uh, in enmity or in opposition or in hostility with God? He says, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, as we've been going through the book of James, I've been uh, showing you that the book of James is, is really kind of a throwback to the Sermon on the Mount. There's many principles found in the book of James that were preached by the Lord Jesus Christ on the Sermon on the Mount. And here you find another one. Keep your finger there in James 4. Obviously, that's our text for tonight. But go with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 6. And look at verse number 24. Matthew six twenty-four. Matthew chapter 5, uh, 6 and 7 is what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Fractions of it are also found in other Gospels, but 5, 6, and 7 in the book of Matthew is the complete uh, sermon that the Lord Jesus Christ preached. And in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus teaches the same concept that James is now teaching, that being a friend of the world is enmity with God, meaning you cannot be a friend of the world and be a friend of God. You cannot be on the side of the world and on the side of God. Notice Matthew 6, 24, what Jesus said. He says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And he says, ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now that word mammon means to covet material things. It means to covet wealth. Now here's what you got to understand. The word mammon means to covet and I want you to make note of this, because and I'm not going to take the time to do it tonight because we've done it a couple times in James, but we've seen in Scripture how these three words are used interchangeably. Covet, desire, and lust. And here he says, you know, you cannot serve God and the mammon or the desires of the things that this world provides or the lust or the coveting of the things that this world provides. He says, look, you've got to decide if you love, if you lust, if you desire after the things of this world or if you love and desire the things of God. Jesus said, ye cannot serve God and mammon. 
And if you go back to James 4.4, 4, he says, Hey, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be friend of the world is enemy of God. You've got to understand that you cannot be a friend of the enemy of your friend. If, if the world is opposed to God and you side with the world, then you are opposed to God, is what he's teaching here. And he's telling us, look, go back to James chapter 4. I want you to notice this phrase. Notice, notice verse 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses. He teaches that having a relationship with the world is the same as committing adultery on God. Now you may ask, well, why would he say you know, these phrases of adulterers and adulteresses? Keep your finger there in James 4, but go with me to Ephesians uh, chapter number 5. Now if, you're, if you start at Matthew, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And when you get to Ephesians, I need you to put a ribbon or a bulletin or a bookmark or something in Ephesians because we're going to leave it, but we're going to come back to it, okay? Okay, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, if you're familiar with Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm not going to take the time to read the chapter, but in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul teaches on the roles of a husband and a wife. And he teaches the fact that the wife is supposed to submit to her husband, the fact that the husband is supposed to love his wife, the fact that, uh, you know, these these different ways that we deal with each other. And And he teaches this great chapter on the subject of marriage. But when he gets to the end of the chapter, I want you to notice in verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 5, in verse number 32, the Bible says this, this is a great mystery. Now, he just got done teaching on the subject of marriage. And he says, marriage is a great mystery. He said, the relationship between a husband and wife, this is a great mystery. But then he says this, he says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And throughout his teaching, he kept saying that, that the wife needs to submit to her husband as unto the Lord, and that the husband needs to love his wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He's using those analogies. And then when he gets done, he says, I've been using the illustration of marriage, and everything I've said applies to marriage. But he said, I'm not really talking about marriage. He said, I speak concerning Christ and the church. Verse 33, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she rest her husband. He says, look, everything I said applies to marriage, but I'm not really talking about marriage. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And here's what you got to understand. The church is the bride of Christ. It pictures being espoused. Jesus is the husband. And we, those that make up the church, and here we are, a local assembly, Verity Baptist Church in Sacramento, one day we'll be raptured out of here and the entire church will be united and will be presented to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you've got to understand this, when you got saved and when you got uh, born again, Jesus redeemed you and he is espoused to you. He is married to you. We are married to Christ. We belong to him. And here's what the Bible says, when we as Christians develop relationships with the world, we not only put ourselves at enmity, at opposition, at hostility with God, but he said we are adulterers and adulteresses in this relationship that we've entered in with God. And this is a theme that's found throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, the prophets would often illustrate to the fact that the Israelites were committing adultery with idols and worshiping other gods. And here James is teaching us, look, ye adul- if you get back to James chapter 4, he says ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be friend of the world is enemy of God. You've got to understand that there is a cost for the friendship of the world. If you decide, I'm going to be a friend of the world, I'm going to develop a relationship with the world, I'm going to be 
you know, friendly with the world. There is a cost to that, and here's the cost to it. You automatically put yourself at opposition with, at enmity. You become the enemy of God as soon as you line yourself up with the world. So number one, we see the cost of the friendship with the world, which is enmity with God. Number two, I'd like you to see the result of friendship with the world. The result of friendship with the world. Look at verse 5 of James chapter number 4. Verse number 5 of James 4. Notice what he says. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain? The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. And I want you to notice that word lust there. As we've been going through James chapter 4, we have seen, and the entire book of James, but specifically chapter 4, we've seen this theme of lust, desire, covetousness come up. Look at verse 1 of James chapter 4. We dealt with verse 1 a couple weeks ago, but why don't you look at it just real quickly. James chapter 4 and verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust? You see that? That war in your members? Now notice, look at verse 2. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire. The word desire, same word as lust, used interchangeably. He says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have. Ye cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Look at verse 3. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lust. Notice, he keeps saying, you've got a lust problem. You've got a covetous, and lust just means desire. Sometimes it's a physical relationship with a member of the opposite sex. Sometimes it's just coveting after something, desiring something. He says, you've got a lust problem. He said, you have a desire problem. He says, do you think that the scriptures say that made the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? And you've got to understand this. There is a connection between the world and lust. When someone is a friend of the world, when they are worldly, their life will be identified by this idea of lust. Keep your finger there in James chapter 4. Go to 1 John chapter number 2. Now you're there in James. If you just go past 1st and 2nd Peter, you, uh, you'll uh, find 1st John right after 1st and 2nd Peter. So you go just to the end of your Bible, go past 1st and 2nd Peter, and into 1st John. Now when you get to 1st John, I want you to keep your finger in 1st John, right? So you got a bulletin or a bookmark or a ribbon in Ephesians, hopefully, and then you've got, keep your finger in First John, because we're going to leave it, and then we're going to come back towards that part of the Bible. First John, chapter number 2. Notice what the Bible says, verse 15. Now, notice what God says. Love not the world. Now, James just told us that if you're a friend of the world, you put yourself at enmity with God. So God obviously doesn't like the world. And here we're told by John, we're told, hey, love not the world. You'd not, you should not love, you should not care for, you should have no affection for the world, neither the things that are in the world. He says, I don't want you to love the world. I don't want you to love the things that are in the world. And notice what he says. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you notice that? Here's why. Because when you become a friend of the world, you are hostile. You are an enemy. You are at enmity with God. He says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Look at verse 16. For all that is in the world. Now, he's about to tell us everything. Here is everything that the world has to offer. Everything that the world can give you is found in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world. Notice, notice the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. See, there's a connection between the world and lust. 
Because whenever we are covetous, whenever we desire, whenever we want something, we see somebody, somebody got a nice house and we can't just be, you know, happy for them. We just, well, I wish I had a house like that and I'm not happy with my house. Or somebody gets a nicer vehicle and I wish our vehicle was nicer. Or somebody gets a raise and you're not happy for your coworker that they got the raise or they got the promotion. But you say, well, I just wish I got that raise or I could use that promotion. And you better understand worldly people and people that are friends of the world and they are in a relationship with the world and they love the world and they care for the things of this world are characterized by covetousness and desire and wanting things that do not belong to them and just say, I wish I had, I wish I had, I wish I had because he says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. He says, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And there's this connection that we find in 1 John 2 and James chapter 4 that being a friend of the world and loving the world has a connection with lust. But notice, there's another connection I want you to notice. Look at 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Did you make notice there the word pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So there's a connection between the world and lust. And then there's this connection between lust and pride. Now why is that? Because pride is us wanting to be lifted up. And usually we want something because that something makes us look better, makes us seem more important, makes people want to be like us, which is why we want to be like people. And there's this connection with the lust and the pride, but notice we find it in James chapter 4 also. Go back to James chapter 4, look at verse 6. James chapter 4, verse 6. James 4, 6, notice what the Bible says. But he giveth more grace, Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. And you say, well, why would James bring up pride? Because here's the thing. When you become a friend of the world, all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So he says, don't be a friend of the world. He said, you lust, you lust, you lust, you have not, you lust, you desire, you kill, you want. He said, you want all these things, you lust. And then he says, here's, here's the problem, you're proud. Verse 6, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. But giveth grace unto the humble. Some of you ought to memorize that verse. You, if there is one sin that God cannot stand, it is the sin of pride. If you want God to just come down on you, you want God to just lower you, you want God just to smack you down, allow pride to enter into your life, into your heart. The Bible says over and over and over, and I won't take the time to show you all the passages, but all throughout the scripture, the Bible says that God resisted the proud. Whenever we lift ourselves up, because here's what you got to understand. Pride is not a victimless sin. We cannot lift ourselves up without putting someone else down. And whenever someone wants to make themselves look better or wants to make themselves look good, you ever get around those people and it seems like all they talk about is themselves? And it's like, it's, you know, you feel like you're in an interview. But, you know, they're like trying to sell themselves to you. Man, I am so good at this, and I am so good at that, and I just got done memorizing this, and I just got 17 people saved, and I went out and did And it's like, good, I'm not hiring you. You know, I don't need an associate pastor. We're good. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, but people are just, because here's, here's what you're going to say. Whenever we're lifting ourselves up and want to look good, look, why not just realize, why not just say, hey, God knows. God knows what I'm doing. God know it. That's all that matters. 
As long as God, you know, the, the, God keeps track in heaven. And, and I'm not saying, you know, we ought to be grateful and people get somebody saved. We ought to acknowledge it and that's all good. But listen to me. Whenever pride comes into our heart, whenever lust and covetousness, you got to understand, you're lining yourself up with this world. And as soon as you line yourself up with the world, you become an enemy of God. And it's the lust of the flesh. What is that? What makes you feel good? I just, I just started listening to that music. It just made me feel good. That's the lust of the flesh. I just don't, that's the lust of the flesh. I saw that person. Well, you're not married to that person. Yeah, but they made me, that's the lust of the flesh. You got the lust of the eyes. I saw that car. I saw that house. I saw those clothes. I saw those things over there. And that jewelry, I liked it, the lust of the eyes. And then, of course, the pride of life, the lifting up of yourself. There's a connection between the world and lust. There's a connection between lust and pride. And and, uh, James is teaching us here. He said, "You, you become a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. He said, there's a cost. For becoming a friend of the world is enmity with God. And he says there's a result to becoming a friend with the world. It's lust and pride. And you've got to understand this. We've got a lot of worldly Christians living today. And unfortunately, we probably have a lot of worldly Christians in our church. And not just our church, but all churches. Paul said that, you know, to be not conformed to this world. He said, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we're going to have to get to this place. Our, our society and our world has brainwashed us into thinking, we've got to meet the status quo. I've got to keep up with the Joneses. You know, I've got to drive what they drive and have what they have. And I've got to, you know, go to the same restaurants they go to or otherwise because we find our worth in the things that we have. But God says, hey, none of those things matter. In fact, he says, all of that's going to get burnt up. He said, he said, don't think about tomorrow. He said, the morrow shall take care of the things of itself. He says, hey, just be worried about, am I in a good standing and relationship with God? Because that's all that matters. Says, there's a cost for the friendship of the world, number one. There's a result for the friendship of the world, number two. Number three, for those of you taking notes, I want you to notice the solution to the friendship of the world. You say, well, what if I am a friend of the world? What if I am kind of a worldly Christian? How do I solve it? Well, here's what I love about the book of James. It's highly practical. It's not just you know, philosophy. I've given you a little bit of philosophy, some things to think about in regards to being a friend of the world. But let me give you some practical solutions for you to say, well, how do I get right with God? How do I stop being a friend of the world? How do I go from being an enemy of God and an enmity with God to being a friend of God and having the blessing of God? Notice James chapter 4. Look at verse number 7. Notice what he says. Number 1, submit to God. He says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And I want you to notice, the first step to getting right with God is to submit to God. Look at verse 10, James chapter 4, verse 10. The word submit means to humble. The word sub, you know, you heard of a submarine, means to come underneath or to come below. The word humble means to lower yourself where it's not all about you and it's not all about look at how I look and look at how great I am and look at look. It's not about that. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Look at verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. And I'm here to tell you, I'd rather have God lift me up than me lift up myself. Because when God lifts you up, no one can bring you down. But when you lift yourself up, God will bring you down. And we are to submit to God. Now notice, how do you submit to God? Look at verse 8. I love verse 8. James chapter 4 and verse 8 is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. 
See, the Bible teaches that you got to understand the creator of the universe, the, the God of, of the world who created you and created me, who saved us from our sin. He says, if you draw nigh, the word draw, it means to, to get close to, to come near unto. He says, if, if you draw nigh to God, the Bible says that the God of the universe will draw nigh to you. Do you know that God wants to have a relationship with you? you know that God wants to be your friend? The Bible talks about God being the friend of Abraham and Moses, different men in Scripture that were told that he was a friend of. But God, God is no respecter of persons. If Abraham can be the friend of God, guess what? I can be the friend of God. If God could speak with Moses face to face as a man speak unto his friend, hey, God may not speak face to face to me, but I can be his friend just like Moses was. But here's what God says, and here's the trick. You've got to draw nigh to God. So how do I draw nigh to God? Well, there's basically three ways you can do that. You spend time with, in the Word of God. You spend time in prayer with God. And you spend time with God in the house of God. You come to the house of God and you hear preaching out of the Word of God and you begin to draw closer to God. You go home and you read your Bible on your own. You begin to draw nigh to God. You go home and you begin to spend time in prayer and communication with God. You begin to draw nigh to God. Now here's what you got to understand. Most Christians are more friendly with the world than they are with God. So, I mean, here's a question for you. How much, and I'm not, please do not answer out loud, okay? Because those of you that are pride-filled are going to try to answer this, and I don't want to hear it, all right? But how much time did you spend with God today? In comparison to Facebook or in comparison to the television. See, most Christians spend more time watching TV all week long than they do reading their Bibles. Most Christians spend more time on the Internet and on YouTube and reading things that don't matter than reading the Word of God or on their knees praying to God or praying to God during the day. And here's what you're saying. You say, well, I don't understand why. I feel like God's not close to me. I feel like I can't get the blessing of God in my life. I feel like, you know, it's like well, there's this like distance between me and God. And here's what you're going to understand. The problem is not God. The problem is you. The problem is we have sided with the world. We've sided with the things of the world. We spend more time with the world than we spend with God. Now, look. If I'm married and my wife spends more time with some other guy than she does with me, that's not a good relationship. And we say, well, why won't God draw nigh to me? But here's why, because you won't draw nigh to God. And he says, hey, you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh. Here's what God says, you take a step towards me, and then God says, I'll take a step towards you. And you take another step towards me, and I'll take another step towards you. He says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. But it's going to require you to submit it's going to require you to stop saying, I'm in charge. See, for you to read your Bible every day requires that when you get up, you say, I am not in charge right now. I am not in control. Because my flesh wants to sleep in. My flesh wants to read the newspaper. My flesh wants to read all those books that I ordered from Amazon, and they're more interesting to me right now than the Word of God. That's what my flesh wants to do right now. But I'm going to submit to God and to His will and what God wants me to do. And I'm going to read the Bible. And I'm going to spend time in prayer. I want to check my email, but I'm going to spend time in prayer. I want to go get a donut, but I'm going to spend time in prayer. You know what I mean? And here's what God says. You draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. You draw closer to me, I'll draw closer to you. And here's the beautiful thing. The closer you get to God, the further you get from the world. So what's the solution to being a friendship with the world? I, I don't have Facebook, but somebody, I think somebody told me that on Facebook you, like, you, you become friends. Is that true? Or did I just make that up? Do you have friends on Facebook? Is that true? Okay. I know some of you guys have Facebook. Come on, tell me. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, you guys have like 7,000 friends on Facebook. Someone said you can unfriend on Facebook. Is that true? You click a button. You're like, I'm mad at you now. You know, unfriend. 
You get mad at your cousin, I'm going to unfriend you. Some of you need to unfriend the world. You need to just click that button and say, you know what, we're done. Our relationship's done. I'm not spending time with you anymore. We need to unfriend the world. You do that by submitting to God. The only way to draw an eye to God is to spend time with God. And, and notice, when you are in the flesh, understand this. When you are walking in the flesh, it's pride. But when you are drawing nigh to God and you're walking in the Spirit, it's submit. It's humble. It's getting close to God. So number one, you need to submit to God if you want to unfriend the world. But number two, notice, you've got to stand against Satan. Look, look at James chapter 4. Look at verse 7 again. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And then notice what he says. Resist the devil. Resist the devil. Now, I want you to understand something. Again, uh, keep your finger there in James 4. Can you, can you go back to Ephesians chapter, to Ephesians? Remember, did, did you keep your place in Ephesians 5? Go back to Ephesians, but go to chapter number 6. Ephesians chapter number 6. And you should still have a finger in 1 John. We haven't forgot about that. We're going to get back to it in a second. We're doing good on time. Ephesians chapter 6. You've got to understand this. God does not expect you to conquer Satan. God does not expect you to defeat Satan. One day Satan will be defeated, and God will do it. The Lord Jesus Christ will come on a white horse, and he will pick up Satan and throw him into the bottomless pit. He'll pick up the Antichrist and the beast, the the beast and the false prophet, throw them into the lake of fire. A thousand years later, Satan will be loosed out. He'll try to fight against God again with Gog and Magog, and God will pick him up and throw him into the lake of fire. You've got to understand this. It is not my job. It is not your job to conquer or defeat Satan. We are commanded to do one thing, resist. The Bible says, resist the devil. Are you there in Ephesians chapter 6? In Ephesians chapter 6, he teaches the same principle, but he uses a different word. Notice what he says. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. That's drawing nigh to God. Because what do you do when you put on the armor of God? You put on the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, you know, you, and all those different things that are in the armor. I'm not going to preach on the armor right now, but it's drawing nigh to God. Notice what he says, Ephesians 6, 11. Put on the whole armor of God. That ye may be able to, and notice this word, stand. That word means resist. Not, not conquer, not beat. All you've got to do is stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand. Same word, same same idea. Withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Do you notice he said, all I need you to do is stand. All I need you to do is withstand. He says, having done all to stand. Look at verse 14. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. He says, here's what I need you to do. Stand. When Satan attacks, stand. Now, here's what most of us do when Satan attacks. We retreat. And he says, don't retreat, but resist. He says, when Satan attacks you, don't go backward. The Bible calls that being backslidden. And I'm here to tell you, if you are less faithful to church now than you were a month ago or a year ago, if you are less faithful to soul winning now than you were a month ago or a year ago, if you are less faithful to your Bible reading or your prayer time or your giving or whatever it is that you used to do, you're serving for God, than you are, than you were a month ago or a year ago, there is one theological word to define what you are, and it is backslidden. You used to be here, now you're here, because Satan attacked, and you retreated, and you went back. And here's what he says, don't retreat, resist. 
Stand. He says, stand uh, against the wiles of the devil. Withstand. He said, having done all to stand. He says, all I want for you is to stand. Having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. He says, don't retreat. Now here's what you understand, okay? Go back to James chapter 4. Look at verse 7. He says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. And here's what he says. And I, I, this, this ought to encourage you and it encourages me. And he will Flee from you. Amen. Did you catch that? If you resist the devil, not conquer, not beat, not throw him into the lake of fire. If you stand, if you withstand, don't retreat, but resist. If you just put up a fight, he will flee from you. And here's what that means. Satan is not looking for a fight. Do you know Satan doesn't want to fight you? You know what Satan wants? He wants easy prey. He wants to fight someone who's easy to fight. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Did you keep your finger in 1 John? If you have your finger in 1 John, uh, just, just go to uh, 1 Peter. Right before 1 John, you got 1 and 2 Peter. Just go to 1 Peter chapter 5. Look at verse 8. Notice what the Bible says about, for, about Satan in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. These are well-known verses. You know them, but let's look at them. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, now here's the description, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now we hear that description and we say, Satan's scary as a roaring lion. Okay, but you ever watch those documentaries, those nature documentaries? Well, sometimes we'll get those for our kids where they can watch, you know, the animals kill each other. You know what I've noticed about lions? They're not looking for a fight. They're not, they're not just finding that, you know, the biggest, you know, whatever it is that they're fighting, you know. You know what the lion's looking for? The weak. You know what the lion's looking for? The injured. You know what a lion's looking for? The, the one that got separated from the herd. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for an easy kill. He's not trying to fight the big, strong, you know, uh, animal there, the alpha male. He's just looking for the little baby, the injured one, the one that got lost, the one that started getting away from the herd. You know, if he can find that one, he'll go for that one. But if he finds one who puts up a fight, he says, I don't need that. I'll go find something that's a little easier than that. See, all you've got to do, it's a promise from God. You resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And I mean, every example... You know, there are, it's amazing to me how there are people in church, and, and in our church and in every church I've ever been a part of, there are people who are just in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, never miss. If they miss one service, you're calling them like, hey, are you okay? Because, I mean, they never miss. There are some people who just every week, every time they get paid, they tithe. There are some people who just every week are out soul winning. There are some people who just, they, they, they say they're going to serve, they're going to clean the building, they're going to do whatever, and they just consistently do it, never have an excuse, never have a reason. And like the one time in three years that they mess up, it's because they were in the hospital or something. And then on the other side, you've got the people who are just like constantly missing just there's always something coming up. There's always a reason why they couldn't. There's always, and here's the thing, they're easy prey. Because look, here's what's going to happen. You're going to make a decision. You're going to say, I'm going to come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm never going to miss church. And Satan says, okay, we'll see about that. And he says, he attacks you. And instead of resisting and standing and saying, no, I'm going to fight, you retreat and say, okay, I'm sorry. And here's what he says, that was easy. Hey, if I can get you to miss church on Wednesday night, then maybe I can mess you to, you know, get you to quit going soul winning. 
Man, that was easy. But see, the guy and the gal who stands up and says, I will not miss church. I don't care. You know, if I got a flat tire, I'll change the tire. I'll call a taxi cab. I'll walk to church. I will not miss church. I will not miss soul way. I will not allow Satan to stop me. That guy, Satan says, I'm not going to mess with that guy. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. People come to me, Pastor, you understand, man, I'm trying to get to church, but just every single time. It's because you're weak. It's because you're injured. It's because you're getting away from the hurt. And Satan says, that was easy. I'm not going to mess with so-and-so. I'd rather mess with that guy or that gal because they're easy. And here's what God says. Resist the devil. He will free for you. But here's the thing. You've got to resist. You've got to put up a fight at some point. You've got to say, I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to back up. I'm not going to go down that road. No, Satan, I will fight. You say, well, how do I start being close to God? You submit to God, and then you've got to stand against Satan. See, submitting to God is easy. Standing against Satan, that's where we fail. Number three, go, go, to, go back to James chapter 4, look at verse 8. Number one, you submit to God. Draw nigh to God. Spend time with God. Number two, you stand against Satan. Number three, you sanctify yourself. Look at verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And then he says this, cleanse your hands, you sinners. He says you've got to clean your hands. Purify your hearts. And I notice this, you double-minded. That's the double, that double-minded, that's the guy that can't decide whether he loves God or the world. That's, that's what Revelation calls the lukewarm Christian. He says cleanse your hands. He says purify your heart. See, If you're going to get close to God, some of you are going to have to go home and there are some DVDs that you need to just throw in the trash because they are filthy, because they have curse words, because they take the name of the Lord your God in vain, because they show nudity, because they make light of alcohol, because they show fornication, because they show adultery, because they got a bunch of sodomites running around and you think it's funny and it's not pleasing to God. And God says at some point, you're going to have to decide, are you a friend of the world or are you a friend of God? Are you siding with the world or are you siding with God? And while you've got those DVDs or those magazines, while you're looking at those websites, while you're living that life, you say, well, I just watched this one show on TV. But it's got filthiness and nudity, and the commercials have people in underwear running around. And look, at some point, people say, Pastor, man, you're crazy, you're insane. Listen to me, at some point, you've got to decide will I side with God or the world? But you cannot side with God and the world. Because as soon as you said, it's not a big deal. I'll go to that club. I'll go to that bar. I'll go with those friends. I know they're not saved. I know they'll be drinking. I know they'll be doing drugs. As soon as you go down that road, God says, We're not friends anymore. You're committing adultery on me now. But you cannot be a friend of God and a friend of the world. You've got to stand against Satan. You've got to sanctify. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. What has the Holy Spirit been dealing with you in your heart? Where you realize that's something I need to deal with. That's, that's something that, that's something, that's a sin in my life that I've been ignoring and say, and God's been trying to convict me about it. God's been trying to bring it to my attention and I've been ignoring. What is that? And I would encourage you tonight, deal with it. And then notice what he says, verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. When was the last time that your heart was broken over sin? When was the last time that you wept over your sin? When was the last time that you just said to God, I, I, I am broken over what I've done, Lord? You want to know the reason we're the mess we're in? The reason this nation is going to hell in a handbag? Is because Christians will sit there and watch filth on TV, listen to garbage on the radio, just watch whatever on the internet, whatever on YouTube, and say, I'm right with God. And God says, we're not friends. 
We're not friends. While your hands are dirty, while your mind is dirty, while you're lining yourself up with the world. Go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. We're almost done. We'll be done. We're going to look at two verses. We'll be done. Psalm 34. Look at verse number 18. Psalm 34. Verse 18. See, at some point, and you've got to remember, what, what's the point of the book of, of James? The book of James is to bring us to maturity. The book of James is to get us to grow up. And there are some Christians who just, quite frankly, they need to just grow up. You need to just decide. You need to just choose you this day whom you will serve. You need to just decide. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve the world? Am I going to be on the side of mammon or am I going to be on the side of the things of God? Because you cannot be on both. Are you there in Psalm 34? Look at verse number 18. Psalm 34. Notice how the Bible is so is so uh, connected. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is nigh. Remember James said, draw nigh unto God and he will nigh unto you. The Lord is nigh unto them of a broken heart. James 4, 9 says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And God says, if you have a broken heart over your sin, it's not funny. It's not a mistake. It wasn't a mess up. I have sinned against God. And God alone. If your heart gets broken, Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as of a contrite. The word contrite means expressing remorse of such of a contrite spirit. See, there are some of us that need to get to the place where we say, God, you know what? I've been making little of the time that I have on this earth. I should be beginning my days with prayer, beginning my days reading the Bible. I should make a priority of the Word of God. I should make a priority of the house of God. I shouldn't just allow every little excuse to just draw me away from soul winning, draw me away from the things of God. We've got to have our hearts broken over our sin and the fact that we are unfaithful to God. It's the only way that we can ever be right with God. Can you go to 2 Chronicles, chapter number 7? 2 Chronicles, you got First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 7. This is a very well-known verse, but I want you to look at it. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 7. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 7. Notice how consistent God is. 2 Chronicles, chapter number 7. Look at verse 14. 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, and verse 14. The Bible says, if, that's a big if, if my people, which are called by my name, are you a Christian? You're called by his name. Now notice, notice the consistency. Shall humble themselves, submit, humble yourselves before God, and pray, and seek my face. What's that? Drawing nigh to God. And turn from their wicked ways. That's cleansing your hands, you sinners, purifying your hearts, you double-minded. He says then, he says then and only then. Well, I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. See, James teaches us about the cost of the friendship with the world. It puts us in enmity with God and the result of the friendship of the world, which is lust and pride in our lives. And then he says there's a solution to friendship with the world, but you've got to submit, you've got to stand, and you've got to sanctify yourself. So what what is God dealing with you about? Maybe there's an area of life that you need to draw closer to God. Maybe there's an area of life where you just need to get that out of your life. Some of you need to just go home and throw that television outside, you know, in the trash can because it's causing you to draw nigh to the world and not to God. 
There are things in our lives that cause us to be drawn away from God. And God says this, you take a step towards me, I take a step towards you. But the reverse is true. When you take a step away from God, God takes a step away from you. Because the further you get from God, the closer you get to the world. And God says, you cannot be my friend and the friend of my enemy. He said, as soon as you become a friend of the world, you become an enemy. You become at enmity with God. Let's bow our heads and have a